Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 87. Virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. We've spoken to leaders about these topics several times, like in our conversations with Dr. Brennan Spiegel, Dr. Arshia Vahabzada, Dr. Shafi Ahmed, Dr. Rafael Grossman, and Dr. Justin Barad. Those guests, who all happen to be doctors leading in this field, spoke about their work across a wide variety of use cases, such as patient education, treating mental health conditions, pain management, surgical training, and actual live surgery. Of course, I'll have a link to all those guests in the show notes for this episode. Now, when talking about virtual reality and augmented reality solutions, they're sometimes grouped together and simply referred to as XR, extended reality. Now, looking at that list of guests that we've already interviewed about this topic, you may think that being a doctor is a prerequisite for leading the development and adoption of VR solutions in healthcare. Or you may think that the leaders developing these solutions are technologists and business leaders that have decades of experience navigating the regulatory and commercial waters to bring new technology to healthcare. Or you may think, like I do, that no matter what their background, a passionate person with a great idea, the ability to work hard and ask good questions, and a genuine desire to build relationships and great teams is as well positioned, or some may even argue is even better positioned, to succeed in healthcare. My guest in this episode is Aaron Orr, the CEO and founder of XR Health. Aaron served in the Israeli Air Force for 12 years, gaining extensive experience in the field of physical therapy. He previously served as initiator and coordinator of the IDF Spinal Cord Damage Prevention Program designed for air crew personnel. Now he's leading XR Health, an Israeli company with offices in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's here to discuss how XR technologies can function as a medical device. Now, I should explain that XR Health recently went through a rebrand. I mean, very recently. So when I was introduced to Aaron, his company was called VR Health. And when we recorded this, they were just a week or two away from their new name, XR Health. So you'll hear me refer to his company by both names in this episode. If you want to visit his company website directly, you can go to xr.health. They snagged one of the very cool and short domain names from our friends over at .health. Thanks for doing that. You can also find out a lot more about his company on the Startup Nation Finder program, which is a platform built and maintained by one of our sponsors, Startup Nation Central. You can find a link to that in the upper right corner of the startupnationcentral.org website. But don't worry, there are a lot of links to remember, so you can find them all in our show notes just by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 87 or tapping on the notes field in your podcast player. Now let's join the conversation with my guest, Aaron Orr of XR Health. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Aaron, tell me first of all how you got interested in developing VR solutions. So four years ago, I started feeling pain in my right hand. After a while, the pain grew stronger. And uh, my breaking point was that I couldn't pick up my two-year-old daughter. I, I was diagnosed as suffering from whiplash injury due to the active flight. And during my own rehab, the idea came about to combine VR and rehab. That's how we got started. And today, the company is developing a broad solutions using VR and probably in the future, AR in the healthcare market. Now, you were in the military before. Have you started a business before or have you worked in technology specifically within the military? No, no. So I'm a former F-16 pilot and I flew with helmet displays for 15 years. So the combination of VR 
and rehab came out of that, of my own experience with simulators and helmet displays. It's my first business, my first endeavor. I was in the military for 15 years, and that's my background, basically. Excellent. Now, VR is a technology that we've discussed in several episodes of this program. We've talked about it in relation to pain relief, uh, support for people with autism. We've looked at it from a surgical training perspective and telementoring, and even patient education. What are some of the problems that you're working to address within VR health? Yeah, so we have applications for motor function, cognitive decline, pain management, hot flashes. And I think we took an approach which is not common, I think not in the startup life and not in the VR space. We are not using VR for one use case or one vertical. We are basically using the VR like a toolkit. And then the clinician can pick and choose the different apps inside our platform according to the specific use case or the specific need of that specific patient. So even if a patient that is suffering from motor function injury, he also needs the pain management application. Stroke patients most of the time need cognitive application and motor function applications. So our entire platform is not one single use case or one specific injury or disease. It's a toolkit that the clinician can pick and choose whatever he wants according to the need of the patient. What makes VR such a powerful tool for solving these problems? So there are three major elements that uh, we see and the reason why we believe VR will be a game changer in the healthcare market. The first one is that the fact that it's the first fully immersive technology that has psychological aspects on the patients. And no one want to be in a rehab center. No one want to be in a hospital. And it's even more complex than that. Uh, our brain is like a CPU. Uh, 75% of the CPU goes to visuals and sounds. And once we are overloading the CPU with visuals and sounds, things like uh, pain, acute or chronic pain, get downgraded uh, in the priority list. So that's uh, one element that VR can bring to the table that no other technology can bring to the table. We just concluded one clinical study where we used our hot flashes, cognitive behavioral therapy. Patients that are suffering from hot flashes after chemotherapy use their application once a day for three weeks. And after those three weeks, we saw reduction of 50% 50% in self-reported hot flashes, a 50% reduction of night sweats, better sleep, and basically amazing outcome that I'm not sure that there is a drug in the market that's showing those kinds of results. The second element is that once you put a VR headset on, you become an element in a computer-generated environment, and we can analyze any interaction that the patient is doing with the virtual reality objects. And not like any other wearable or device, we can manipulate the environment. So the insight that we can generate out of those interactions is superior to any other interactions. And the last thing is that location is meaningless. I don't care if the patient is in the hospital or back home, as long as they are inside the virtual reality world. So we talked about this once on a previous program in terms of that element of being a part of a computer-generated environment. And that's a really powerful thing when you're talking about simulations and training. But it can also be really powerful, I would think, in terms of diagnosing the progression of disease. You are totally right. So we are now conducting 
a clinical trial with MS patients and trying to analyze exactly that and try to measure the patient interaction after seizures. And not just that, we believe that we'll be able to provide insights whether the drug is effective or not, or the protocol, the treatment protocol is effective or not, because the insight that we can generate out of those interactions are daily activities insights. So we are measuring, I'll just give you some several examples, range of motion, response time, reaction time, differences between your right side, left side, which is very relevant in the stroke use cases, accuracy, how you perform the cognitive skills that we ask you to perform. And basically anything that we can measure in real life, we can measure in virtual reality in a much better and more effective way. Now, when we spoke before, you were talking about using VR as a medical device. What did you mean by that? So we are a medical device company. And with all the regulation, qualification, quality assurance system, we have four applications already registered on the FDA records. We just received our CE approval. And basically, we are using VR as a medical device. And what makes a medical device a medical device is the question, what is your claim? What's the intended use? So we are using VR in order to measure patient performance. And after we'll conduct and complete the clinical trial, we believe that we'll be able to claim that VR can also treat a patient and could be a replacement for some of the drugs that are in the market today. That's really interesting that you say you are a medical device company. A lot of organizations that are in this space are saying they're a VR company. And I've not heard anyone else say that they're actually making a medical device. Are you the first to work in this area? As far as we know, and according to the FDA and CE database, we are the first uh, company that is using VR as a certified medical device. Brilliant. Well, congratulations on being the pioneer in that area. Developing software is hard enough as it is, but you mentioned already that the quality systems and the processes to achieve that certification of a medical device, that's not something you do overnight. So how have you managed that process, especially sort of juxtapositioning the agile software development process with the quality controls and systems that you need to have in place to achieve that certification? How did you manage that? That's a great question. So now we are circling back to your first question that you asked me whether I have a previous experience in the entrepreneur lab. So I didn't have any kind of former experience. So in that case, ignorance was bliss because I didn't know what I was facing. So when I established the company, it was obvious to me that we need to go to the FDA, understand what we need to do in order to be a medical device company. And for me, it seems that that's the only way. So luckily for us, from the day I established the company, we operated as a medical device company. And today it pays off. But the downside is that it took us two and a half years to get, you know, to complete all the development and the regulation that needed to be done because of all the elements that you just mentioned. So I'll just give the audience some examples. Why to be a medical device company, it's far more complex than to be just a VR company. Let's say I have a patient that thinks that something in the VR experience could be better. I'm not saying safer. Let's say one has, he thinks that one of the colors of the, you know, of the balloons, one of our apps is balloon. You need to pop balloons. 
let's say he thinks that instead of a white balloon, he believes that a blue balloon is better. Any company that is not a medical device company, you know, said, pick up the phone, says, okay, sounds like a good idea or a bad idea, and, and you know, moving on with your life. In a medical device company, we need to record that request. We need to go back from to the day that we decided what was the color of the balloon. We need to make sure that his request is not a safety issue. We need to record our response and we need to respond to him. So that's for every customer that is reaching out to us and provide us with feedback on the product. And I think that's something that if you are doing from day one, you can do that. If you're not operating in that way, it's very hard to do that in a second stage. So again, luckily for us, and not because I was smart, it's because I didn't know what I'm doing, I thought that was the only option. And so again, today it pays us. You mentioned that you didn't know any better, so you went and talked to the FDA. What was that experience like when you went to them and sought some guidance? So I think that the FDA and the CE today are not the barrier to entry. I think that they are trying and they are also understand that the potential of digital health is enormous. And they are trying to be very cooperative as long as you are you know, playing according to the rules and not doing something that you are not allowed to do. But I found that both the FDA and the CE are very open-minded for new technologies, and they also understand that that's a necessity to have new technologies in the market, so it will help all of us get a better healthcare. I'm so pleased to hear you say that about the FDA, because that certainly has been my experience in 20-plus years of working in the healthcare-regulated environment. They certainly have done a lot, but Cole Patel particularly, and under Scott Gottlieb's uh, leadership, They've done a huge amount to really try to tear down barriers. And you said it yourself, the FDA is not a barrier. CE is not a barrier. A lot of times organizations will claim that, but really there are other factors that might be driving them to make that as an excuse. And I certainly think that isn't valid anymore. And I'm glad to see that even coming in from outside the industry without experience in medical devices, that openness to collaboration, that spirit of working together to uh, work with the regulators and have that dialogue about what you need to do. That's really positive to hear. And I'm glad that it's working out for you. That adds to your cost as an organization, obviously, when you have to add those structures in, when you can't work quite that nimbly as a software, a pure software play would. So as a percentage, can you give us some idea of, in terms of your overall development budget, how much do you think is actually set aside to achieve and support that certification? Is it 10%? Is it 60%? That's a, it's a good question. By the way, it's, it's not just that, right? It's uh, liabilities issues and legal and IT. Exactly, right. Yeah, it's all those additional costs. If I can say it's roughly around 30%. 30% of your overall budget, you think, is, is set aside for that or 30% of your development budget? So it's both, right? Because it's not just uh, R&D. So we, again, when you are a medical device company, you need to operate as a medical device company. Even your sales rep need to be a medical device certified sales rep because they can't promise things that are not aligned with your intended use and your claims. So it's broader than just R&D. Coming back to the fact that we're a medical device company, that has implications on all fronts, not just R&D, and marketing and sales and everything that the company is doing. So that's why it's hard for me to put a number, a specific number. It's like asking, you know, how is the communication in the company? 
like what's the cost of it? It's like it's something that is broad. But if I would say, okay, the overall, if I would compare our day-to-day activities, if I, if we weren't a medical device company, I think an estimation would be we have an overhead of thirty to forty percent at least of a company that is not medical. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I know those are are costs that you then need to build into your pricing. And I think a lot of people look at this and say, why is a VR product this price if it's just open for the consumer world? And why is it this price if it's done for the healthcare world? And this is part of the reason. You can't simply build your business with the same model. And that requires additional investment and overhead that needs to be incorporated into the price that ultimately gets passed along to the consumer or the the payer. So you've partnered with some big names in developing this, specifically Facebook and their Oculus product. What do those partnerships entail and and what are some of the benefits that you're getting out of uh, partnerships with those companies and perhaps others? So I think that the VR companies are now understands that gaming is not the only market that is out there. I personally think that healthcare will be the first market to fully adopt VR before entertainment, before social, because the need is obvious. And basically what we're trying to do is to partner with different players in the VR and probably in the future AR market to try to get them engaged with the healthcare market, with all the complexity that the healthcare market have to offer, but hopefully get them engaged and try to utilize their technology in that market. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with more after this word from one of our sponsors. You mentioned earlier about getting your sales reps trained up. And I'm a former sales rep. I've trained a lot of sales reps through my career. And that is an additional overhead. I'm curious about your sales cycle, though, in terms of who you're selling to and how long does it take and what's the interest level like of those people and organizations that you're selling to? And also specifically, what about reimbursement? Because there needs to be a financial and business model behind these decisions that people are taking to procure your product. So can you tell me anything more about that sales process? Yeah. So at the beginning, we tried to find a specific vertical. And what we tried to do is to try to educate that vertical. And by the way, we started with a whiplash app for people with uh, that was the only use case that we tried to sell to. Uh, but we found out that today it's very hard to explain people that are not from the VR or AR industry what VR is, why they need it. And at some point we decided to take a step back and just build a platform that will answer the need of the VR believers in the healthcare market and not just trying to target one specific uh, use case. And the sales process today is that everything is inbound. So even your audience now, you can Google VR in healthcare, you'll find us. And those VR believers are reaching out to us in that they can be from the insurance company, from the provider, it could be from a pharma company, anyone that thinks that VR can benefit its own practice. And at 99% of the time, our platform provides them with a solution, uh, with a good enough solution for them to start using it. And then what we are seeing now is that in the second stage, more professionals from the organizations 
see the benefits internally and they want to use VR for their use cases. But that's basically the, the sales cycle today. Inbound and then inside organization, organic growth. That's basically the process. And regarding uh, reimbursement, so uh, because we are a medical device company, the clinician can use the current CPT codes. There are a lot of CPT codes here in the U.S. that are for the procedure. You can use any device that you want as long as you are doing that procedure. And one of the ways that we decided how to build our apps was according to the CPT codes. So it will fit this current CPT codes. Brilliant. So you've ticked a lot of boxes there. Now, you recently went through a rebrand. You were VR Health, and now you're called XR Health. So what does that rebrand mean? What is XR about? So the XR stands for Extended Reality. And basically, it's an umbrella term cover the VR, AR, and MR technologies. And what we are seeing today across the board, not just in healthcare, that all those technologies, the VR, the AR, and the MR, are turning into one platform, one technology. And the concept is that in the future, you'll be able to swipe between AR to VR in a press of a button. And we'll see those combination more and more in the next couple of years. And that's what we are trying to do. And in some cases where we believe that AR has benefits, health benefits as a platform, and we'll use AR, and in some cases, we'll use VR according to the specific use cases that will be in front of us. Great. So I've been on your website, xr.health. I'm glad to see you use the .health domain name. That's a, a big supporter of our platform here and a big advocate for use of that domain name to delineate companies that are working in the space. There are a lot of leading organizations listed on your website. Tell us about how this is being used and some of the work that you're doing with these organizations. So first of all, we are conducting now 14 clinical trials in parallel. So some of them are listed on our website and some of them will be listed on our website in the next couple of weeks. And as you can see in our website, we have different kind of partners. It could be a hospital or insurance company. In the near future, you'll see their pharma companies also. But the, the concept is the same like I mentioned previously. Inside that organization are uh, VR believer, uh, he has different kind of ideas how we can utilize VR. And luckily for us, we can pretty easily, after we are starting with a small scale pilot, convince the other people in the organization the value of VR. And then we are growing with the, with the organization and figuring out together, by the way. Every day we have a new use case, a new company, a new idea. And we are working together to understand how we can utilize VR in their organization. Yeah, I really like your approach there that you can get in with some core product. And then as people get exposed to technology, they begin to realize its capabilities. They begin to think of more ways that they can use it. And it's a really great approach for growing your business, but also for really providing a service and helping people to begin to understand how they can assimilate this new technology into their practice, into what they're doing to help patients and people improve their health. What does the future hold for VR in general and specifically for your company? I believe that we'll see VR in every hospital, every rehab center. It will become the next telehealth platform. It will be used for diagnostics and for treatment. And we are trying to be the company that uh, basically bring that new computing platform 
to the healthcare market. And it's a process. We need to educate the market. But I am very optimistic. I think that the patient reaction, provider reaction, and peer reaction that we are seeing today is only the beginning. And I think that's the first time that the healthcare market as a market will be disrupted by technology. So I agree with you about seeing it in hospitals, but I just wonder, is really the place where this should be, is it, isn't it in people's homes? It's not one thing or another. What we are doing is, what we're trying to do is the first encounter that you'll have with VR will be in a control environment, in a rehab center, hospital, any kind of facility where your clinician is with you, making sure you know how to use the technology. And, but after that, the entire idea is that you'll take the VR headset back home and he will be able to monitor you remotely and you'll be able to do everything remotely. So we really need to get to a point where not only are we getting into the hospitals like you're currently doing and having success in doing, but we really need to get this out into people's homes. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this is where they'll be exposed to it and realize the application that they need to have by taking this technology out of the hospital and using it within their own home environment. We are seeing that today, by the way. We see patients using the VR in the hospital and then reaching out to us and then you know, ask how they can use the VR back home. That's exactly the idea. Brilliant. Well, let's talk about that. How can people get in touch with you and follow your progress? Just uh, go to our website, fill out the form for contact us, and then that's it. And we'll get back to you. So xr.health, fill in the form, and then Aaron's team will get back in touch. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before I let you go? No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'll be happy that uh, your audience will join the VR AR revolution. (laughs) They are, and they will. And they'll continue to do so. Thanks so much for joining me, Aaron. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Aaron Orr, founder and CEO of XR Health. Their website is xr.health. And of course, you can find that link and the notes from our conversation by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 87. While you're looking at your phone, please take a moment to give us a quick review on iTunes. Five-star ratings are greatly appreciated. If you also want to get in touch with me directly, you can reach me at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or on Twitter at healthtechdan. As always, thank you for being a part of our community and doing your part to push the industry forward. And of course, many thanks to our sponsors for supporting our work here. I'll speak with you soon in episode 88. And until next time, keep on innovating. Innovating.